much. So now I just decided, hey, I just want to share some things and, uh, and walk this out. But I, w- I want to present something to you that is going to be life-giving. I believe in a victorious eschatology. So traditionally in the evangelical church, we have, uh, we've grown up with, with a, um, what, what's called a, a futurist. So when we read prophecy in the Bible, we apply it to the future. That's something that will happen in the future. And so as I shared last time, and I'm not going to go into detail because I really want to cover some things today. As I shared last time, as, as, I, as I studied eschatology through Bible college, um, been on a journey with it, um, I, I, have, I have determined that the kingdom of God is powerful. The kingdom of God is, was created by Jesus through his resurrection to grow in glory and power and in influence and to grow in the supernatural things of God. And I've come to the determination that if I was the devil, what I would do is I, I would convince the church that actually the kingdom of God on the earth leading up to Christ's return is going to shrink, it's going to lose influence, and it's going to get bad, and it's going to get worse, and, and we're just going to have to hunker down. And I, I, I just, I, I don't see that in the scriptures from reading them in the, in the way that uh, I believe um, Jesus spoke them. Now, as we come to this passage, and I'll pray in just a bit, but as we come to this passage, um, we're, we're, we're still in Matthew 24. Um, as we come to it, we just want to ask God to, uh, to speak to us, to open our hearts to him, and for us to be encouraged. My heart for you as your pastor is, I want you hopeful. I want you excited. I want you to feel like you're a part of something that's ripping and roaring on the earth, and that we are not victims. We are victorious members and citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen? And we, we need to understand that as we, as we move forward, because I believe that's God's heart. And so, um, we'll get into it, and I'll pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word that speaks to us. And God, I just ask you that as we um, open up your word, that um, we lay all um, filters aside, and we come to your word, Jesus, your word that speaks, that declares, and that sets things in place. And so, God, as we come to this passage, we uh, ask you that you would give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, it's the second part of this teaching of eschatology, and what eschatology simply means is what we believe will happen between now and the return of Christ. That's what, it's, it's a fancy word, it sounds really cool, but that's just, that's all it means. And uh, what we spoke about last week was many of American evangelical Christians, including myself, um, at, at, in my journey, hold, um, hold to that view called the futures, which I've already mentioned. Meaning that what Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24 um, is everything from there is going to happen in the future. Also meaning that what the book of Revelation is something that will happen in the future. But there's another view that as we lean into this and we look at the historical accounts that uh, some of the prophecies of Scripture have already come true. And we know that. We know that. But this is particularly when it comes to the return of Christ and the purpose of the church on the earth during our time. What is our purpose? What is God's heart for us? How are we, how are we to see um, what he's called us to, to be a part of and to, uh, and to lean into? And so as we looked at last week, there's some very strong, compelling evidence historically that what Jesus spoke of, spoke of in Matthew 24 took place 
leading up from his resurrection and uh, to 70 AD. There were many things that happened leading up to. And so leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is something that a lot of American um, evangelicals aren't aware of what happened in 70 AD, because just like all of us, we, we come to the scriptures with, with our filter. Um, or uh, you could say it this way, you come to the scriptures with, with your bucket, and this, this bucket believes this, and, and this bucket believes this, and so whatever we come to the scriptures with, we just put it in that bucket, and then that's how we kind of interpret that. But, uh, but this challenges that idea that all of, most of, of, of Matthew 24 has actually already happened, and historically we've looked at that, and I, I, want, I don't want to go take time to go back into that, because we're going to be looking at more of that today. But let me encourage you to go back and watch the, uh, the, the previous one that I did. So I, I want us to come to the scriptures without any filter and contextually read the words of Jesus. Often in any Bible college, it's, it's, it's context, context, context. And all of us know uh, we can make the Bible say just about anything we want to if we just take stuff out of context. Uh, we live in a, in a, in a media age that uh, I, can, I can speak one paragraph and that someone could chop that up and make me look terrible. Same way with you. So context, whole, matters. And so we want to ask these questions regarding the context and read the words of Jesus and apply them to the questions that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24. And so um, many believers today have what's called a pessimistic view, meaning things are going to get worse, and then Christ will return as things get worse and worse. And we get that view, we get that view from Matthew 24, depending on how you, how you see it. So I believe and hold of a victorious eschatology. So instead of leading up to the return of Jesus, instead of the church um, becoming uh, shrinking or becoming timid or becoming smaller, um, actually, I, I believe we're going to see a mass revival on the earth, that the church is going to grow, the church is going to um, do what God's called us to do and be stewards of the earth, be stewards of our community, to apply the Word of God in areas of of whatever it may be that we're involved in, but, but do that, and we, w- we will see the power of God. So when Jesus told us, go and make disciples of nations, he actually meant something by that. He meant, and, and then he told us what to do. He told the disciples, he says, and teach them what I have taught you. So this was not go make disciples of peoples, go make disciples of nations, which does involve people. Because when you apply God's word to people, it's always loving. It's always life-giving. It's, it's always something that brings forth good fruit in their life. And we, as we increase on the earth, if you actually love your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor's life's going to be better. If, if we actually apply God's Word to people in our lives, whether they disagree or not, their life is ultimately going to be better because the, the Word of God, the Scripture says, it is like health to a, a person's bones. And so that's what we believe. So, <clears throat> so as we lean into this, we, we want to be praying. And if, if you see Matthew 24, something that, that hasn't happened yet, and if you see the church is going to be one that shrinks back, um, then our behavior is going to be impacted and, and affected. Your prayers are going to be impacted and affected. And instead of looking at our city and being like, man, you know what? God doesn't want addiction to be increasing here in Arvada. 
He doesn't. And we would say, amen, he doesn't. God doesn't want divorce to be increasing. God doesn't want um, fatherless homes to be increasing. And we would all go, that's true. Okay, let's pray that that actually begins to diminish, and let's begin to do something about that. Jesus told us to pray. He says, you know, pray that the, the, the kingdom, that the kingdom of God in heaven is now Pray that it comes to earth. So whatever is in heaven, it would be here on earth. And so we, we want to grow in that. So uh, um, Habakkuk 2.14, this, this is a prophecy that I believe is speaking to the, to the age of the New Testament church, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This verse is very important to me because I believe this is God's will for our life, and I believe it's God's will for our nation. And so, this doesn't mean that, that all evil will be subdued, um, because we know ultimately Satan will finally be judged at, in the return of Christ. What it does mean is that the church will rise up, and we will see a great harvest on the earth. And, uh, and yes, that leaves the question, though, regarding the nature of the rapture and the return of Christ. That does leave that question, okay, when? And we, we will get there as we navigate through this, but it's important we continue to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and ask the question, did, has, has the things that he said come true? So last week we read out of Matthew 23, and let me encourage you, um, get, get familiar with Matthew, Matthew 23, 24, read it, and read it again, and read it again. And just, just, get, just let, it, let it just work in your heart. But in Matthew 23... Jesus declared judgment. I know that's hard for us to, to, to swallow sometimes. We're like, oh. And he declared judgment on the leaders of Judaism. He, he, the judgment he declared is that the judgment of the innocent blood that has been spilt from all the prophets that they killed, from, from Abel to Zechariah, which is Abel is in the first of one of their books and Zechariah is in the last. In other words, the whole totality of judgment would fall upon them. And, and that's, that's harsh. And so there is, a, there is um, a judgment of innocent blood that's coming. He then also made some statements about the temple. And he said, no stone's gonna re, going to remain. And so, um, and so part, part of that judgment is the, the destruction of the temple. Which, we need to understand the significance of the temple. And then, we're, then we'll get into uh, the, the, the words of Jesus here. <clears throat> the temple was the, the central component to everything about Judaism. Everything. That's, that's how they interacted with God. That's how they made sacrifices for, for, the, uh, for the cleansing of sin. That's, that, that was everything. That was their, their day of atonement. Everything about how God instructed them to interact with him was central around the temple. And then this judgment comes. And it wasn't, and this is, this is difficult, but it wasn't that um, the devil is going to destroy the temple. It wasn't that Satan is going to, to cause wreak havoc on the leaders of Judaism. It was that God was. And so you, you have to pause and go, that's interesting. So God was, was 
doing something. His heart, though, was that Jerusalem would turn their eyes to Jesus and recognize him. Because Jesus steps out of the temple, and in what, what is called the Olivet Discourse, he weeps. He weeps over his precious city. He said, if only you, if you, if only you would have let me gather you like chicks and under, you know, and, and under a, a hen's wing. If only. But you haven't. And so judgment is coming. And this is so important that we understand this in Matthew 23 because it helps us lay, connect some of the dots. And so these, the, the um, destruction of the temple does away with all sacrifice. So today, there is no sacrifice whatsoever. There's none. So the writer of Hebrews, which we'll look at as our last point here, but the, 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 the writer of Hebrews is convincing Jews who were wanting to return to the temple because it hadn't been destroyed yet. Hebrews was written around 60 A.D. And so the writer is, is saying, do not return because that is a, the old covenant it is obsolete and soon to be passing away. So you go, that's interesting. Why is the old covenant soon to be passing away? I thought it was gone. This was what, what, was, what was happening is there was the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 was slowly moving towards the, the um, no more of the Jewish sacrificial age. It wasn't going to be after the, after the temple was destroyed from the judgment of God. So, our key verse is when Jesus declared these things. They were on the Mount of Olives. He walks across. If you've ever been there, the, the Mount of Olives is right across from the temple. The, you walk through the, 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 the valley, and the disciples ask him these questions. Matthew 24, 3, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And the end of the age. And so many people don't separate these, these as questions and they don't, they don't connect that Jesus actually answers three questions separately in what he says in Matthew 24. And also, just so you're aware, as I shared last week, and, I, and I'll share some proofs here as well, that this, this idea, what, I, what I'm presenting to you, has been a belief that has, that has been around since like 300 A.D., the early church fathers believed that all of this had happened in 70 A.D. It's referenced in historical books. It's referenced in um, some of the great fathers and, and up to even Charles Spurgeon. So I'm, uh, this isn't something that is, oh, this idea um, is coming about. The American church, the evangelical church, that believes everything is future, that is a new idea. That's a new idea that was not a part of our early church fathers um, who were closest to, to, to everything that was happening um, in, the, in the beginning of the church. So question one is, when will these things be? So when the, t when the temple was destroyed and destruction came upon this, so this is, this is the question. When is the temple going to be destroyed? And when is this judgment, Jesus, that you said going to happen? The second question we'll cover um, next time we meet. Third question um, we'll cover that as well. But the, the second one is this. What will be the sign of your coming? I did make it an error last week because I, I, because I was talking about signs of this first question. I, this second question is about Jesus coming into his kingship. 
It's not particularly connected to the destruction of the temple. But, so I, I, need, to, I need to clarify that. I, I just got excited and, and kept moving on with it. But then um, the third question, what will be the sign? And this is, what, this is the one we all want to know right here. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So this word right here, the end of the age, King James tra- translates the age as aeon, which is, which is world. Um, and, and so it, it, but it can mean world or age. But the end of the world will be the end of the age. And so at the end of the age will be the end of the world. So this is what, this is what, what that means. This is truly the final when, 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 when is everything done? So whether you see them as three questions determines when his answers apply. So number one, the question, when will these things be? And so we've, we've, uh, we, we've walked through um, what they are. We, we looked at, um, first we looked at the, I just want to hit them real quick just so we can um, stay on track here. Actually, we have them. Can, yeah, let, can, let's put up number one. Let's go one more. One more. Okay. Many claiming to be Christ. We covered this last week. So there will be many that are claiming to be Christ. And we walk through historically how this actually happened. So again, this is leading up from the resurrection of Jesus to the destruction of the temple that he spoke of in Matthew 24. So Jesus says, hey, during this time, many are going to claim to be Christ. Also, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And so we walk through historically what was happening in the Roman Empire, what was happening on the earth. Things that there were fractions, there were wars, there were... There were Things were happening. There were um, uh, there was insurrections that were happening within the Roman Empire. There were there were Roman soldiers who were who were now against other Roman soldiers. They were decimating cities, and it was happening all around them. Now, this is again. This was not the age of the internet. They didn't know. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have CNN or Fox News. This is it's a contextual, localized happening. And so I asked the question. If Jesus said this would happen within a generation, the question is, did it happen? Either Jesus is a false prophet or he's a true prophet. So we have to ask those questions to, like, to um, have some intellectual honesty as we come to, to these passages. And so there were wars and rumors of war. And so we looked historically, yep, that's true. That actually happened. And so um, now we want to move to the next one. So... We, we, asked, we asked the question, when, when will this happen? And Jesus is, asked, is answering the question, when will the temple be destroyed? So the next one is Jesus said there, is going, there are going to be famines. So he said this, what, they asked the question, when will these things be? When will they happen? The destruction of the temple um, and, um, and the judgment on Jerusalem. He says, okay, these things are going to be happening. Also says famine. So the question is, were there famines that happened leading up to 70 A.D.? Matthew 24, 7, it says, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, a futurist would apply that to, to now. And so they would say, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going, going all over the, over the place. There's in Iceland. and Okay, we're, we, we know that now. But this was contextually localized to his, his disciples and to the people of Jerusalem. That's why he was weeping over them. What's interesting is, is Acts 11 actually speaks about a great famine. So it confirms what Jesus has said. Um, uh, 
Agabus stood and he foretold, verse, it's uh, 1128, which we should have that, foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius, which is in between when Jesus said this was going to happen and before 70 AD. Josephus, the historian that we've referenced, he, he, uh, he wrote of a great famine, and it was a famine that was happening in the land that it came to a degree that, that it had never happened before. People were starving to death. So Jesus had told the disciples, hey, this, they asked the question, when's this going to happen? Okay, this, this is, you can, you can start thinking it's, it's happening because these things are leading up to the destruction and the judgment. And so people were starving to death by the thousands. It's historically proven. It, is, it was a horrific time. The next one was earthquakes. Something to note, I don't know if there's something that you, many of us are, are aware of, um, there was a time of seismic activity that was happening in the region of the Middle East and around Jerusalem, and they, they would have been aware of all of this. But something to note in 63 AD, the great earthquake of Pompeii took place in the region. And we've, you know, we've, we've seen that, it, it erupted, it totally decimated the city, but this was happening all throughout the area. Now, do you remember who the book of Revelation was written to? So it depends on how you view that. So some people view that the seven churches are, um, that's really uh, the age of the church. So it's a season. Each one represents the age of the Laodicean church. And so the church during that age or time period will have all these issues they're dealing with. And well, many scholars that I, I, I believe it was written to seven actual churches. Why? Because there's historical proof there were seven actual churches. So it was written to these churches, seven churches. And these seven churches, what took place between 70, or sorry, 60 AD to 70 AD is there were major earthquakes in Laodicea, which is from Revelation, Smyrna, um, Colossae, Melitus, Rome, um, uh, Heropolis in Judea. It, it historically fact that there was never been more seismic activity that took place in the Mediterranean area. This, it has never happened. It's never been more than that time. And it took place between the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and 70 AD. So these are the things that Jesus prophesied. And listen, we should be bold enough to say, hey, is Jesus, is he true? Oh yeah, actually he is. And we're able to see this and walk along with it. So Jesus is answering the question, again, when will the temple be destroyed? When will judgment come on, on Jerusalem? And then in Matthew 24, verse 9, he says, All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So what, many, what, what futurists would do is you apply this through the birth pains of the coming of Christ. But this wasn't actually the question Jesus was answering. So this first question, Jesus takes time, and he, he, from verse 4 down to verse 28 is him answering this first question. So I just encourage you, go and read this. Now, my heart for you is as you read this, that you are encouraged. Um, as we get further into this, there, you know, I, I've known people in church 
um, my whole life, there was a lot of fear based around this Matthew 24 passage. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of people who didn't have, didn't, they didn't have children because what we're going to read in just a moment, because they applied what Jesus said to something that will happen in their future. But it was not contextual to where, where they have, where, where they've been. Again, the reason why we're walking through this is because um, I want to establish that this, this, these things have happened. And then once we do that, from there, we then are able to step into the other aspects of the return of Christ, the place of Israel, and we're able to walk, walk it through that way. But until we establish this, it's, it's, it gets muddy. So we just want to, again, prove that these things that Jesus said actually happened. So um, Jesus, again, he's answering this question. Birth pains. Birth pains of what? So when, when Jesus is saying these are birth pains, it's the birth pains of the question he's answering he's about, about the judgment that's coming on Israel and about the judgment that's going to be coming on the, on the leaders of Judaism and the temple being scraped, which, we've, which we talked about last week, historically happened. It's it scraped um, down to nothing. And so another thing that Jesus, as he, as he answers this question, um, about, about when will this happen? He starts talking, number five, about persecution. And this is one that some people get really nervous about this. And, and we go, yeah, but there's persecution in the world. Absolutely there is. And there will always be persecution. But Jesus was speaking to them to prepare their hearts for what was coming. So Matthew 24, 9 he says this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my sake. So contextually, who is Jesus speaking to when he says, he's answering their question, they will deliver you up, put you to death, and you. He's not speaking of a future you. He's not speaking of, he's not answering their question um, for our sake, he's having a conversation with his disciples. And they, in turn, are also having conversations with those that they're serving as well. And you'll be hated by all nations for my sake. So the question is, did this happen before the temple was destroyed? Yes, it absolutely did. In 63 AD, um, there was this horrific evil emperor, and we've heard of him before, Nero. He, he came in, into power. And so something sparked Nero. One, he was insane and demon-possessed. Um, I think I shared Sunday. I mean, he, he, uh, he, was, he was married to a, a man and a woman at the same time. His wife was pregnant. He, he killed her by kicking her to death. Um, it, he was horrific. But what happened is that there was a fire in Rome. And one-third of the city of Rome burned to the ground. And this is historically proven. I encourage you, go do your own research because um, it, it, it'll be helpful for you. But it burned to the ground. And Nero held the Christians responsible for the fire. And so from, 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 that, from that happening, what happened was what is called historically the great persecution of Christians. And it started happening. There's also this, this passage in, in Acts 8, 1. 
that you begin to see these things coming about. So Acts 1, this is, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. This is leading up to, uh, to 70 A.D. It was within, within 40 years from the resurrection of Christ to 70 A.D., probably a little less. Um, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So you, with this, we have a, a, a proof text that this actually is happening. Jesus said, this is going to be happening, leading up to the destruction, leading up to judgment. This is going to be happening. And so as we lean in, we're like, no, that's true. That happened. Um, uh, Tacitus, which is a, an ancient historian, he wrote about this great persecution. And this is where um, what Nero would do is he would bring thousands of Christians, are the martyrs that before us, the the blood of the martyrs is what the future church is built on. And they would wrap them in animal skins, and they would put them in the Colosseum, and they would turn packs of wild dogs loose. And people would watch as these precious Christians were, were torn to pieces in the most horrific of, of, uh, of, of deaths, um, evil. And so this was ramping up, this was advancing, the church was scattered. Um, it was uh, also they were they were crucifying a lot of Christians as mockery because they knew they served Christ. So they were crucifying them. They were putting them on public display. Um, they were mocking them. Uh, also, what uh, what Nero was doing at the same time is he would cover Christians in tar. We've heard this before, but it's important we understand. When Jesus, Jesus um, he, he told the church, before this judgment's coming, this is going to be a great persecution. And so this was happening. And so Christians would be dipped in tar, they would be positioned around the garden of Nero, and they would be lit on fire to illuminate his um, evil parties, which were a lot of times sexual in nature, filthy. But this was happening. So the question is, did what Jesus say there, did that take place? And the answer is absolutely, it did. So um, again, he's answering the first question that they're looking at. They're looking at the city. They're looking at the temple. They're on the Mount of Olives looking across. Um, and he said, it's going to face judgment going to face judgment because they have, they have killed the prophets, God's prophets, they have, and, they, and they were going to crucify him, even though um, I often say the Jews did not crucify Jesus. Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down willingly. So it was, a, it was an act of his will. Jesus was not a martyr. He was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. But this is, this is a part of, of, of everything that, that's happening. Um, and obviously, sometimes when you start teaching this, um, those who have a really strong uh, uh, love of Israel, which is great, you get uncomfortable because you go, oh, be careful, Jason, this, this could be, and you know, this could bring out anti-Semitic things. Listen, no believer who actually calls themselves a Christian 
should ever have any anti-Semitic anything, ever. They should not have, because of, because of a race of a people, there should, that's called sinful, and you need to repent and get your heart right. So, but th this is about just looking at the, at the facts as we, as we walk through this. So, um, number six, Jesus said, many will fall away and be deceived by false prophets. So the futurists would say, um, yeah, but that's happening now. It, it, true. There was always false teachers, and there will always be false teachers. But this contextually is what he's talking about leading up to the destruction. Matthew 24, 10 through 13, it says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So when you read something like that, you go, that's, there are principles that apply today. The love of many will grow cold. Yes, that's true. We see it. Jesus was stating what was going to be happening before the destruction of, of the temple and Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So what was happening at the time between the resurrection of Christ and 70 A.D. is, is so um, there was a, um, it was called Gnosticism. And so what, what Gnostics were doing, so the church is advancing, the church is growing. What Gnostics do is they... Um, because of their, their view, they had a, a Greco-Roman view that they really, what they did is they separated um, sacred and secular. So, <clears throat> so they, they would say, oh, my, my spirit is saved by Jesus, but my flesh is corrupted. So I don't have to live any differently as long as my spirit is saved by Jesus. And so it was a very, uh, not a good situation. But many prophets and many teachers were teaching that. This is also one of the motivations of why we have the, the Nicene Creed, why we have the Apostles' Creed, is that creeds were created in the early church to combat heresy that was going on in the church. But this was happening right out of the gate at the birth of the church. And so they, they, they were being deceived. And so whatever you do with your body, it doesn't matter. Your spirit's saved. Um, yeah, you could say, yeah, we have that today as well. But this was, this was for... For them to understand, when the, as these things are happening, this, the judgment is getting closer. So, the, actually also what they were saying is that Jesus was not, because they didn't believe flesh, human, humanity is, uh, can be holy, it's corrupt. Jesus, um, was, he was a manifestation of just spirit. Well, that is, the, the issue with that is that's at the core of the gospel, that Jesus was perfect man and God, and through his life, he now can give us what he lived. And so that, that was happening. So all this stuff was, was going on. It is historically proven. You can look it up and walk through it and go, yeah, okay. No, I see that. Um, so you also see some of the other apostles addressing this issue that Jesus was talking about. That's why John 1 writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So He's combating these, these ideas of, of, of Gnosticism that is, that is uh, corrupting the gospel. So this is, this is what was happening. Jesus said this is going to happen, leading up to the destruction. 2 Peter 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. So we have to keep a contextual mind here that the books of the Bible of Peter and John and Revelation and Hebrews, all of them were written before the destruction of, um, of the temple and of Jerusalem. So there are, there are references when, when Paul talks about the last days, the question is, which last days? The last days of, of the, the temple, the last days of the Jewish age of sacrifice for sin, or is this something else? And so that's why it's important we clarify what, what is, what's being said here. Um, at some point within, within the, the birth of the church, um, one-third of all Christians were under the cult of Gnosticism. One-third. Can you imagine? Uh, well, we might be there. I don't know. But anyway, can you imagine like the evangelical American church if one-third of us were in, in some weird cult? Uh, but now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking... I, that might be true, actually, uh, it, because we, it, areas of teaching that are deceptive to people. But um, most of our Reformed Protestant forefathers believed that Matthew 24 has already been fulfilled. And this is not to be provocative anyway, but it is to give us this idea of, okay, all right, I see that. And if that's true, if Jesus is a true prophet, what bucket do I put these other things in that we're going to be looking at over the next, you know, uh, few times we meet? Um, also, Jesus said, number seven, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. This is the biggie. This is the biggie. Um, this is where um, you're a critical thinker. You're like, eh, I don't think so. Um, but there is an explanation that it's important we walk through that many of the, um, our, our, our church fathers actually believed the gospel was preached to the whole world before the destruction of 70 AD, and I'll explain. Matthew 24, 14 said that in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So then the end will come. He's answering the question, the end of the temple, the end of Jerusalem, the end of the Jewish age in the state in which it was in, the end of the sacrificial system, all of these things. So this is, I mean, this is, this is a big one. So the, the original understanding of this passage um, is connected to futurist, and I, I used to as well, um, was connected between now, so what, what they'll say now, and the second coming of Jesus. So futurists would say this, this verse means the end will come. So we got to preach the gospel, and we do. But once we preach it, like we can speed his return if we preach more, right? If we can send out more missionaries, because this says it's a testament of all the nations, and the end will come. Now, I'm proposing to you um, <clears throat> that these, that this actually was, was done. And so when you come to a passage like this, you don't, you don't look to other areas. You look to other scriptures. So the question is, are there any other scriptures in the Bible that, that would confirm that the gospel was preached to the end of the world? You also have to have a little bit of Greek understanding of, of what's being said here. So, so what we do is we don't allow um, our, our, us to be the filter of scripture. We allow scripture to be the filter of other scripture. That's how you stay on the straight and narrow. So we wanted to interpret um, 
we want to find other scriptures that interpret this one. Um, so there are actually scriptures, and we're going to read them in just a moment. I encourage you to write them down and, uh, and look at them yourself uh, that speak about the gospel reaching the whole world before 70 A.D. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, how? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, there, there's actually an understanding. Romans 1.8, Paul says this, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So Paul was stating that the faith and the gospel of the church in Rome, the gospel itself, is being proclaimed in all the world. So he's telling them that their faith is, and this is within Paul's lifetime, is throughout the whole world. Romans 10, 18, and I'll explain these in just a moment. Um, Paul says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So he's speaking about the sharing of the gospel. Romans 16, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to, what's that word there? All nations. So Jesus said, Jesus answered the question, when, when will the temple be destroyed? When will the judgment come on, on Jerusalem? This is one of the things that he said will, before it, it that happens, the gospel is going to be preached to the world. So, and then this goes on, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Colossians 1, 5 through 6 says, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Okay, so this is the, this, this pa th that passage where Jesus said that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. Actually is being confirmed through these other passages. So again, again, Paul's talking about how the gospel is currently bearing fruit in the whole world. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this is, again, about the proclamation of the gospel to all of creation, to the ends of the world. Now, in these passages, though, you need to understand there's two different Greek words that are used. One is cosmos, and it can be translated as world or earth. Um, but either way, it, it includes the whole world. The other Greek word is oi, oi, see if I can get this right, oiku mini. Oikumini. And this word can be translated, and this is what's important, the inhabited earth. Or it can also be translated civilized earth. So Paul uses this Greek word that means civilized world in, in Romans 10, 18. So when he, when he says this, he's, I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voices have gone out to all of the civilized world. So this is a... This is, uh, a confirmation that what Jesus said actually has happened and Paul is reiterating it as he as he writes to the to the churches that God has placed him placed them over Matthew 24 14 this gospel and this is Jesus this is the, the key verse here of the kingdom 
will be proclaimed through the, the Greek word there is, civilized world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is a, this is, um, as you look at the Greek and lean into that, you can, you can see how that would have been fulfilled. Okay, so um, Paul also was working, though, from a prophecy from the Old Testament. And uh, these are going to get more fun for you guys, so I hope you're, you're, you're with me here. Uh, but he's working from a, from a prophecy. So <clears throat> what Paul did is he, he saw the covenant of God from the very beginning, that the purpose of the covenant of God from Genesis 3 through Abrahamic covenant, through the, the, uh, the Jewish people, was to bring forth the seed that would be the blessing to the world. So <clears throat> Isaiah 66 is speaking about a time where the nations of the world will be worshiping. He says, for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues. Now, we, we know this. It is only through Christ that the Gentiles, the non the non uh, the non-Jews until after the resurrect the death and resurrection of Jesus the the only way to God was through Jesus so there, there wasn't an old an old covenant anymore it was now your way to God is through Jesus the blood of Jesus the lamb that was slain through Jesus and so this is prophetically speaking and so he goes on to say they shall come and shall see my glory and I will set a, a, a sign among them, a sign among them. From them I will send uh, survivors to the nation of Tarshish, Pool, Lud, and draw the bow to Baal, Javan, or Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations." This is a direct prophetic wording of what Jesus was telling the disciples to go and do. And so, but you have to understand these are regions. Most of us have never heard of these regions. And what, what, are the, what, what is this? So when Paul wrote, wrote Romans, every one of those areas prophesied in Isaiah 66 that would, they would go and bring glory. They would worship um, God had been reached with the gospel. Everyone had been reached with the gospel, except for one, Spain. Spain had not been reached with the gospel yet. And so Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch to preach the gospel. They were rejected by the Jews there. And this is what they said in Acts 13, 46 and 47. We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And this was the motivation of the Apostle Paul. When he went to Spain, there, there are other scholars who have, who have spoken to this. He, that was the end of the world. Because one, it was the end of the civilized world. Two, it was the, the region of which was spoken of, of Isaiah 66. So when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But this was, this was now, they're to go and, and preach it. They're to go and reach it. And so Paul understood this is the end of the known world. Now, it's not the end of all people, but it was the end of the known civilized world, which Jesus spoke about in Matthew um, 
24. So there's a, a historian uh, from 300 AD. He says this, the teaching of the new covenant was born to all nations. And at once the Roman besieged Jerusalem and destroyed it and its temple. So this is what the, the, the gospel was preached and when it was preached, as Jesus said, the end came to the temple and to Jerusalem. There's a, another, um, he's, a, it's an ancient, he's a, uh, an ancient bishop and uh, he was part of the early church fathers, John um, Chrysostom. He said this, <clears throat> you, will, you will preach everywhere. Then he added, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as the testimony to all nations. And then will come the sign of the final end will be the downfall of Jerusalem. So these are ideas that we're, we're, we're looking at that just weren't thought of. These are ideas that the, that the early church totally understood. So they understood that there was, these were some three questions here that was happening, which then allowed them to have some greater clarity and us have greater clarity of the other two questions. So uh, Justin Martyr writes this. He was a, um, a Nicene father um, of the early church. He says, from Jerusalem there went out into the world men, 12 in number, by the power of God, they proclaimed to every race of men that they were sent by Christ to teach to all the word of God. And so this is this, is this, this understanding, this is what was happening. A, a, a more a modern um, church leader who would speak to this, this very thing, um, Charles Spurgeon, he was an okay preacher, but uh, you know, the prince of preachers, but he said this, there was a sufficient interval for the full proclamation of the gospel by the apostles and evangelists of the early Christian church and for the gathering out of those who recognized the crucified Christ as the true Messiah. They came, then came the awful end. So this is the destruction that we've been talking about, which the Savior foresaw and foretold and the prospect of which wrung from his lips and heart the sorrowful lament that followed his prophecy of the doom awaiting his guilty capital. So, again, this is a, it's an, it's another proof of our, m much of our approach to Matthew 24 has, I'll say it this way, we can grow in actually seeing it differently, which will then give us hope as we lean into what God God is doing in, in our lives. Um, this is so important for us because uh, we should be motivated to preach the gospel, absolutely. But our motivation is not so the end will come. Our motivation is so that we grow the kingdom of God, that we do the work of God on the earth, that we, we serve and we reach and we stand and we are a light in the midst of darkness. Listen, friends, our light is not shrinking. Our light is not getting dimmer and you you may go look around and go oh, yeah well it kind of seems like it to me I'll, I'll tell you this if the church understood 
that Matthew 24 is something that had already happened, that we have this command, that we serve a God who has overcome the world, that he's given us authority over all things, that he's called us to be kings and priests to rule and reign this earth in his anointing and his power, that he, that we can go and be a blessing to the nations and we can stand in a victorious understanding in Jesus, I promise you this, our nation would look different. I promise you it would. Again, I always go back. I think it's an old Paul Harvey thing he did. Well, you know, if I was the devil, I'd do this and this and this. Um, if I was the devil, I would convince the church that, hey, you can work hard. It ain't going to do anything. Or you can, you know, you can go and, and you can preach, but just, just so you know, evil's going to increase. And then when you can't understand it anymore, Jesus is going to take you out of here because you would be defeated. That's what I would do if I was the devil. I would convince the church of that. But our Bible doesn't say that. Our Bible calls us, Jesus calls us, go and reach the nations. Go and transform societies. Go and be a blessing. He says this, the harvest is plentiful. Pray for laborers, not waiters, not people who wait, not people laborers and so we have to shift our mind and what this does for us it's challenging it's challenging because if i if what i'm presenting to you is true then we need to live differently we just do we need to we need to re recognize wait, wait wait a minute so what if jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years what if jesus doesn't come back for another 400 years how are we going to live our lives differently that's actually about events in the kingdom today. Jesus also said number eight, which is, a, this is a, a big one um, for, for many of us. And uh, it's, the, it's the one phrase I remember when I was a little kid in church because it sounded so horrific. The abomination of desolation. So obviously there are many views about this, but if we were to, again, just lay this gently in the contextual idea that Jesus is answering their question. When's the temple going to be destroyed? When's judgment going to come? Um, so after Jesus told the disciples, once the gospel reaches the end of the civilized world, you need to get ready. So he, he actually tells them, um, you need to get ready. He warns them because of the destruction that is coming. What destruction? Well, what he just said. The temple's going to be destroyed. Judgment's going to come upon the uh, leaders of the, of the Jewish, um, of Judaism. So if you hold a futuristic view of this passage, uh, which I'm, I'm going to read right now, um, you, it, you'll see this as this is what's going to happen right before the end of the world. Um, and if you hold a futuristic view, um, you've got to tie some strings on other scriptures and pull them in there. Um, and it's connected to the Antichrist, so, um, which is another hot button in, uh, in American evangelicalism. Um, so, but it's connected to the Antichrist. And it's, uh, it's connected also on how you see this passage I'm about to read to the reality that, you, that the futurists would believe in a third temple. So because the Antichrist has to go into the third temple, um, declare himself God. And so in that interpretation with other scriptures, um, 
evangelicals would say, who would hold futuristic view, when that happens, the tribulation begins. That's kind of the, the start of what's, what's happening. But I just want to propose to you, um, if, let's read this in context. And so I, I'm not, I, I, I'm your pastor. I, um, I, I want us to have an accurate view of the scripture so we can live our lives victoriously. Um, and so as we read this, just ask God to put it in the context which we've been walking. So Matthew 24, 15 through 20. Um, so when you see, so who's he speaking to? The disciples, right? So there's no argument. He's, he's speaking to the disciples. So um, he's not speaking to us as his disciples. He's answering their specific contextual question. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of, now look, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So if you hold an absolute futuristic, futurist view, when you see this happening, you've got to book yourself a ticket to Judea if you want to obey God. If you want to obey his scriptures, because he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So I don't think this is not contextually our mountains. This is contextually locally in a place. So let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in the house. Now, how many here have read this often and, and, and there's, there's a sense of fear and trepidation, like, my gosh, what, this is going to be terrible. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. So I, I have, I've, I've seen this passage be used that families do not have children because it says it's a warning to those who are pregnant and nursing in, in those days because they apply this passage to the future, not to actually what Jesus was speaking to and answering the question that his disciples asked him. And he goes on, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on, on the Sabbath. So because on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to run and you're not supposed to. So, so he doesn't say that, that Jesus doesn't say that people all over the world should flee to the hills of Judea. That's not what he's saying. This is contextual. It is local. It is to, it's to his city that he's weeping over. And it's to the disciples. So he's speaking to Jews. Speaking to Jews because he said, I pray that you don't, that you don't have to, this doesn't happen on the Sabbath. So abomination is something that's horrible, detestable, and it's disgusting. So there, there, are, there are other ideas and theories that if, if you separate this and apply it to the future, you, you can come up with some, some other things. And um, I'm not saying that's wrong. This is not, this is not heresy if you don't agree with this or, or, or something like that regarding end times. It's important to understand that when someone says, oh, that's heresy, what heresy means is if you believe it, it will lead you to hell. Um, people can be in error and not heretics. So... But this, this is, if we keep it in this context, um, at that time, Jerusalem was the most holy place. It was, it was the, 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 the holy of holiest place, places. The, the city of Jerusalem was 
it, it, it is the city of God. The people there are the people of God. But Jesus is speaking of this destruction. He's asking his disciples, like, when is this going to happen? And so he says, when you see the abomination of, of, of desolation, um, Luke, I'll say this, there's a lot of discussion about what that is. What, what does that mean? Some would say it's, it's uh, the Antichrist, you know, making, uh, uh, sacrificing um, pigs in the temple. It's, it, there's all theories. But Luke tells us, Again, let, let's, let's interpret Scripture. Luke tells us what the abomination was. So this is what's called a parallel um, passage, Luke 21. But when you, see G, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, so this, he's speaking to, this is the same thing. Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So if you were to just intellectually be honest you would say Luke says oh the 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 desolation the abomination of desolation is when the Roman army surrounds the most holy of cities and so the this is so important for us to understand still same response but Luke gives us a, li a little window a little detail about what what that what that is and so again John um, uh, Christentum which I always mispronounce his name because my, it, it doesn't matter. That's fine. So this is what he says. He's, a, again, 400 A.D. He's connected to the earlier church. This is what he, he writes. The abomination of desolation means the army by which the holy city of Jerusalem was made desolate. So this is the abomination of desolation. I would hold to this view that the abomination of desolation means when the army did abominable things, murdered people, horrible things, horrible things. It was made desolate. And this is what one of the early church fathers said. So when Jesus referenced to the abomination of desolation, Notice, though, he, he spoke about Daniel. And we, and we, will, we're, we will get into Daniel um, in, this, in this series here. But he references Daniel. And so what was he referencing? Well, he's referencing Daniel 9, which, again, how you interpret Matthew 24 is how you would interpret Daniel 9, how you would interpret some of these, these others, other things. And, um, and I just encourage you, if, if, um, if some of the... It, some people are uncomfortable because they, they, they feel like um, this is challenging a belief that they've had for a long time. And Hey, um, if you've been walking with God for more than like a year and your, your clarity of who God is and his word um, isn't, it hasn't changed, then you're not growing. We all are growing. We all, want, I, I want God to, he can challenge anything. I just want to see it the way that he, he wrote it and he said it. And so, be encouraged. Like this, this is encouraging. As we get further into this, it's it's so fun, and it's it it could be it could be life changing. I pray it's life changing to, to many of you. But Daniel nine, Jesus is referencing. He says, "The people of the prince, who um, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the sanctuary." So, 
obviously Jesus is connecting what Daniel said in 9 with what he's talking about, the destruction of the temple and the, uh, the Jerusalem. <clears throat> it's the, it's, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So here we have these, these things, and that's what happened. Rome surrounded. Um, they, they, they killed. Um, it, the, the streets ran with blood, um, and they just totally decimated massacred and so um, so that's what Jesus is speaking about and, and another thing that Jesus said would, would happen um, is this that there will be counterfeit Christ so <clears throat> many people they attribute this if you see it to the future you attribute it to there will be um, people who claim to be Messiah and so as we start to see this then then we can know oh the end's gonna come Jesus it will return but if you contextually put it in at what we've been walking through, let's listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 23 and 26. At that time, so what time is he speaking about? The destruction of the temple. At that time, if anyone says to you, so he's speaking to his disciples, he's warning them because he loves them and he's preparing them. If anyone says to you, hey, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. So he's, he's being very clear. This is very clear very contextual for false messiah and false prophets will appear and, perf and perform great signs and wonders to deceive so we you, if if you grew up like i did you're like see this is going to be a false messiah they're going to come they're going to be doing all kinds of miracles and and they're going to lead people astray and then he says and uh they're signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect and so you go oh okay then Jesus goes on, see, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So this is again about the time between the resurrection of Christ and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Jesus is answering their question. The historian Josephus gives an example of a false prophet in between that time. Um, and he was declaring, actually, that he was going to save Jerusalem from Rome and that people joined him and God was going to supernaturally deliver them. And when they tried, they all died. They were all killed. Um, and so Jesus is saying, don't, don't do this. This is not for you to do. Um, so I'm warning you. Interesting, Josephus also describes how extraordinary signs appeared because this was all it's always a question you go well what signs what does this mean well Josephus records historically records that at one point there was a, a star that was that was present over um, over Jerusalem it was resembling um, a sword and so everyone thought this means God God is gonna give us victory there also was a light that was around the temple before they destroyed it for a half an hour and so this was it was a sign and it was recorded this is a sign and because of this sign come on God's gonna deliver us I'm the Messiah and and that's exactly what Jesus said would happen and it happened historically and so for, for some of us I know I know this this can be challenging and uh, and it can be difficult because we uh, we want to it, it it feels uncomfortable but it shouldn't this is just this should just feel 
hey, this is great. Let's continue to lean in. Now, as, as we get further, further into this, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to enlighten you on, on not my words, but the words of Jesus. And it's going to give you great hope that our mission and our call on the earth is actually much more fun than what you could have ever imagined. It's much more victorious than what you ever could have imagined. It's much more engaging to our children and young people than, than maybe what we have, and me included, what I haven't engaged them with them understanding the purpose and the victorious, superior kingdom of God that is above all other kingdoms. That when, that when we can pray, when we say, God, may your kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven, that's appropriate for us to pray. We're not praying for his kingdom to come so, so while we're waiting to be taken out of here, we're praying for this kingdom to come to apply the gospel, to walk forward in power and authority. Now, I believe absolutely in the rapture. I believe absolutely in the second coming. Um, the timing of that is, is it's irre- irrelevant. Um, I have some thoughts about it, and, uh, and I will share them with you. But it doesn't, you and I, the, the one thing that matters is that we believe in a victorious kingdom that is advancing on the earth. And that we're not shrinking back, but we're moving forward, and we're going to overcome. And so we can start praying that the kingdom of God advances. We can start praying that we that we will no longer be we will no longer be victims. We will no longer sit down and shut up. No, no, we are here as representatives of the kingdom of God, like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so as we begin to walk some of this out, it's fascinating. I like learning new things, but. Next time that we're, we're together, I, I want to I speak to the significance, though, of the destruction of the temple. And uh, this, is, this is just some thoughts that some people, you know, have had, and some people can feel a little uncomfortable to this. But you have to understand, um, and I'll explain further, you have to understand, after the resurrection of Jesus, um, no, no, no one can come to the Father except through Christ. But... There were Jews who were faithful, God, um, worshipers in the temple who had not heard about Christ yet. They hadn't heard. And so this is, if you remember, the place that Paul goes to every time he goes to a new city is where? The synagogue. What is he doing? He's proclaiming the gospel. And so when we have this passage in Hebrews 8.13, I want you to look at this, and then next time we meet, I'm going to lean into this because I don't know if this has ever puzzled you, but it has me, and I wrestled with it. I wrestled with this in Bible college. I wrestled with, like, I don't understand. So it says, in speaking of a new covenant. Now, Jesus had already risen from from the dead. Hebrews, somewhere around 60-ish A.D., maybe 65, it was was written. Um, he, He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. So the first covenant, obsolete, was how the Jewish people interacted with God, how they, how they uh, worshipped him, all those, all those things. That covenant is first one, it's obsolete. Okay? And what is becoming obsolete, I hope you notice that word, becoming and growing old is ready to vanish away. So there, are, there were Jews who were still worshiping in the temple. And so this, the, 
Hebrews is written to them, as I've already mentioned, and the writer of Hebrews, maybe Barnabas, probably Barnabas, is telling them, no, you, do not return. Do not return. Because God, there was, this over, there was this overlap of God's faithful co- covenant of how he interacted with his people. And at the destruction of the temple, it vanished away. Meaning, how they received forgiveness, how they interacted with God, it no longer was through temple worship. It now is through Jesus Christ, their Messiah. And so there was this overlap. There was a, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a time ticker that's ticking down. And so that's, this, this is what, this is what uh, the writer of Hebrews was talking about. And so we'll, we'll talk further about what does that mean um, regarding the temple, and then we'll, we'll talk further. We're going to look at the next question um, next time we're together. And, uh, and it, it's fun. It's a blast. I enjoy doing this, and I, uh, I'm grateful I get to do it. Um, and I'm grateful that you come out and listen to me talk. I, I really am. I, but I, I really do, um, I, I really want God to put a fire in our belly to understand what his purpose and plan is for us on the earth. Especially when we see things that are going on in Israel and we see the, the, some of these moving pieces. Um, it, and as you know, as you know, I, I've, I've been around church a long time. I've, um, a lot of these questions arise every uh, world war. So World War I, like, hey, what's going on here? I think that passage in Matthew 24 must apply here because we see this happening and we see, and then, oh, wait, never mind. You know, then World War II, we see all that. We see then, then you see the nations are, are at turmoil. You go, okay, all right, this, this must be. And then, you know, any time uh, that there's an attack of, of Hamas and evil to Israel, then we, our eyes perk up again, what, what is this? And I think it's important we understand instead of us, instead of us um, uh, reacting sometimes emotionally to that, to actually have a solid biblical understanding so that we can not react to it, but we can biblically respond in a way that gives us great peace and great hope and shows us how to pray. So that's, that's the heart behind all of this, and, uh, and I'll pray and dismiss us. Amen? All right. Lord, thank you for um, your goodness and your mercy. God, thank you for your word that speaks to us plainly. Lord, I pray that we would grow, continue to grow together um, as a... Uh, as a church. God, I ask you that you would cause the scales to fall off of our eyes. If there's anything that would limit us from walking in our authority and power, God, I ask you now that you would fill your people fresh and new with hope for the future, with a victorious eschatology as we move forward and see your kingdom grow and advance on the earth. May you do great things through this church and through the church as as a whole. May we give you glory and honor in all that we do. And so God bless your people. Strengthen them tonight. And Lord, I I pray if there's anything that I've said that is not of you, that you would strike it. And Lord, we, we, uh, we worship you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Love you.